I've got a, a, a question that I think could be possibly the most difficult question that you'll ever have to answer in life. Uh, the question is this, it usually comes on Sunday evenings or Saturday evenings, and you're hungry, and the question is, where do you want to go out to eat at? Oh, you know, you know it, right? You've been faced with that turmoil, and here's the answer back. I don't care. Where do you want to go? So anybody that has any kind of decisive nature about them and has some decision power in them says, you know what, let's go here. And what's the response? Oh, you've had the same conversation too, haven't you? Yeah. I don't want to eat there. No, I don't feel that. I'm not hungry for that. You know, some of you have wondered why it is that we're talking about baptism and why we're going to continue to talk about it today. Let me give you a couple simple reasons. Number one, the Bible tells us to leave the elementary truths behind so that we can actually eat on some spiritual meat. You know what's happened? Man has monkeyed around with this simple, spiritual, easy elementary truth called baptism. Some congregations have turned it into this magical thing, and others have turned it into this meaningless thing when it should really just be a meaningful thing. And we just want to declare to you in obedience to Christ that this is a meaningful thing where we share in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And today also the second reason is I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you, I'm inviting you to be baptized into Christ again today and follow in the footsteps of those that have come before you in faith and have shown you by example that this is pleasing, that God is happy with this, and, and just put aside the fear. And what I know about us as people is we are very indecisive. We can't even decide where we want to eat. We're on the fence about it. And I think the worst decision is indecision. Like no decision at all. Some people can't make up their minds, and when they do make up their minds, time has slipped by, and it's already happened behind them. And there's just indecision, and there's fear that's the face with indecision. I think it's the reason why we don't, we don't make a decision sometimes. We're just fearful. Am I getting this right? If I make this decision, is this the right decision? Do I have all the knowledge? Just fearful that I don't have all the knowledge that I need to have here. Friends, never, never let fear decide your future. And I, I really believe that there's some of you in this room. You're allowing fear to decide your future. You're just not making steps of faith because you're allowing fear to decide your future. And I get it, it can be hard to make a decision. And I know that for some of us, to make a decision means that we're shutting the door on other opportunities and we gotta leave those things behind because now we're committed to something else. <laughs> well, not for all of us though. I think there's some of us that just like to leave the door open in different places. Uh, like this young lady that was asked this simple question. You ever got the check yes or no letter in elementary school from somebody that liked you? So this young man asked this little girl named Ashley, she says, dear Ashley, would you please be my girlfriend? I like you a lot. And there says, yes, no, and I love this one. Maybe, maybe, right? P.S., please put yes or no or maybe. She circles no. She circles no. Oh, no, heartbreak. Ashley writes back underneath the page, I'm sorry, I already have a boyfriend. His name's Kyle, but when we break up, you're my next choice. <laughs> P.S. This is best. This is best. P.S. That will probably be in a month or two. She's already got it planned out. Keeping my options open. Keeping my options open. I love that. Ashley, how I admire you. And that just represents us. Like, I'm just going to keep my options open here. I'm not going to make a commitment. And if I have to make a commitment, it's going to be maybe or no, but not yes. I'll tell you that. But what I find interesting is the scriptures. When people have this encounter with Jesus, when they have this 
experience with Jesus, when they come face to face with Jesus, and they have this belief for Jesus that he is Lord and Savior, it's a spontaneous thing, man. They just full on follow Jesus. And you know what I find different in our culture today? We don't act that way. We don't respond that way. We do things like, can I think it over? Like we're buying a new car. I sleep on every decision. Some of you have been sleeping on the decision for a couple decades now about do I follow Jesus or not. And you've really like, put the brakes on this one. And you can't make a decision. You're just filled with indecision. And maybe it's fear. Maybe it's something else. But let me show you the scriptures about three guys that decided to make a decision for Jesus when they had this encounter with Jesus and how they went from a, a real simple follower just to have this forever fever with Jesus. How they went from just like a consumer, what can Jesus do for me, to I got to give back to Jesus. I, I want to do some things for Jesus. Luke chapter 5. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. It's page 835 in the Bible on the chair rack in front of you there. Jesus meets three men, Peter, James, and John. We le- later come to know these three men as Jesus' closest buddies. Uh, Peter, James, and John had a special relationship with Jesus. They were his inner circle, and they spontaneously came to faith. They didn't sleep on it. They didn't think about it. They didn't have to consult anybody. They had an encounter with Jesus. They believed that Jesus truly was the Son of God, and then they followed Jesus. They lived for him forever. Luke chapter 5, look at verse 1 with me, and we'll just, just start the whole, the whole story through verse 11. So while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is really an area of the Sea of Galilee, it's the North Shore. Uh, surfing, I'm sure, was amazing there on the North Shore of Galilee. Gennesaret, many people pushed to get near him. So, you know, wherever Jesus went, right, people followed. He was showing off miracles and doing things, proving that he was the Son of God through the authority that he had within him, and people were just in awe of Jesus. They wanted to get close to Jesus, and they wanted to hear the word of God. Verse 2, Jesus saw two boats on the shore, and the fishermen were not there. Why? Because they were washing their nets, meaning they were done for the day. They had already clocked out. They'd put in their time. They had already fished their night away, 12-hour probably shift, and everything was getting cleaned up. And what does Jesus tell them? Verse 3, Jesus got into a boat. He just gets into the boat, which belonged to Simon. And then he asks, after he's in the boat, push it out a little way from land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So he used the boats as a pulpit, so the people wouldn't just be in his face. He kind of got away from the crowd, kind of got on a platform, and, and he used the boats as a pulpit. Verse 4 When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, push out into the deep water. Let down your nets for some fish. (laughs) Simon, here's what it says. Simon, who we know as Peter, said to Jesus, teacher, notice that term, teacher, term of respect. We have worked all night and we've caught nothing, but because you told me to, I will let down, I will let down the net. Are you guys catching the amazing respect that Peter had for a man whom he just encountered and knew for the first time? I've been working for 12 hours, Jesus. I know how to fish this lake. I haven't caught anything, but because I'm giving you some authority in my life, I'm going to do what you ask me to do, and I'm just going to trust that you know what you're doing, even though I think you're a landlubber. I think we'll work this out. Verse 6, when they had done this, they caught so many fish their nets started to break. And they called to their friends working in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and both boats were so full of fish, they began to sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he got down at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, of course he did. 
And he said, what? Go away from me. Now notice the term, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Did you notice what Peter did in one spontaneous moment after he experienced Jesus in this amazing act, miracle? He went and said, Jesus, you're a good man. You're a good teacher. He witnessed the power of God at work in his boat, in his life. And he says, you are the Lord. You have command and control of over all things. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. I call you Lord. Verse 9, he and all those with him were surprised and wondered about the many fish. James and John, the son of Zebedee, were surprised also. They were working together with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because fear usually holds us back from a great future. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men. You have a greater purpose. You have a greater destiny. You have a greater future. And then verse 11, when they came to the land with their boats, they left everything. And what does the last two words say? And what? Let's say it out loud. Followed Jesus. Followed him. They left everything behind. They left their well-being. They left their lucrative career. They left maybe some friends. They left maybe some family behind. They left the future as they knew it, as fishermen behind. They left everything behind and said, Jesus is more important right now than anything we've just experienced in life up to this point. And we've got to follow him. We don't have a choice in this. We have to follow him. He went from teacher, a good guy, to this amazing, incredible Lord. I witnessed it. I'd experienced it. All I needed was one act of power in my life to see it. And now I want him more than anything else. What an incredible story. You know, at first reading, I just thought, man, how spontaneous. And I thought about us, and I thought, why don't we work like that? Like, why does it take us so long to walk through these steps of faith when they just go from point A, I know nothing about Jesus, just all the way to Z in one day, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to give my whole heart to Jesus. Go from casual to committed, to consumer to contributor, from Savior, what God has done for me, to Lord. God, what can I do for you? You know, Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Many of you have owned that book, read that book. He had said that there are at least five levels of our loyalty to Christ. I'm going to walk through those real quick, and I just want you to see where you're at in what level you might be. And so as they pop up on the screen, just maybe write it down on your note section of the back of the connection card and just write down what level you think you're at. He says, first, there's the crowd level. That's the come and see. We call this attractional ministry. This would be people that maybe some of you might laugh at. We would call them creasters. You've given them that name. Those that show up at Easter and Christmas for the big event. They want to come and see the show. They know the service is a little bit more planned out. It's going to have something bigger in them. I see some of you smiling right now. Yeah, some of you are not smiling. You're like, I was one of those. And that attractional ministry got me into this place and kept me here. Yeah, guess what? Guess what Jesus used to get Peter, James, and John? Attractional ministry, didn't he? Hey, here's this huge hall of fish. You've never seen anything like it, have you? No. Now do I have your attention, guys? I'm Lord, aren't I? Yes, you are, Lord. Some of you are here at the attractional level. Maybe you take the next step and you're saying, I, I need the congregational level. Come and join us, right? I'm inviting you to join us. You've been kicking the tires around for this place for a long time. You've been checking this place out, test driving it. You've been a skeptic, but now you're saying, you know what? I'm not a skeptic anymore. I don't have the concerns I used to have. Join us. Call this church home. Let this be a place where you can demonstrate your serving and where you can love on others and love on God and serve one another. Let this congregation be an encouragement to you. Maybe it's this third 
level of commitment called the committed, the committed level. Come and grow with us. Like you've never been a part of a place where you can grow in your faith and now it's time to start into a Bible fellowship class that happens here at 1030 on Sunday mornings in this building or maybe it's a women's Bible study that happens throughout the week or a men's breakfast that happens monthly or a small group that you can get involved in or maybe it's just getting around with some people of faith and you can have some time of prayer as you you eat breakfast and can pray for one another. The committed, come and grow with us. And then there's come and serve. Come and serve. The core. We call this the core. And there's a whole bunch of core people around here. People that are serving the Lord and Bethany is getting the benefits. Did you hear that? They're serving the Lord and Bethany. You and I are reaping all the benefits of their service to the Lord. From the parking lot to the children's check-in to the people on this, this platform here this morning to all the inner parts and working pieces that you don't get to see, that core that has been serving the Lord saying, my service is to the Lord. I love the Lord. And you all, you get to benefit. I get to benefit from their service. Those who have come to serve and say, I, I'm going to invest here financially. I love putting my money and giving through the church. Not just put money in the plate, but putting money in its place. God, you have my heart. I'm committed to you. God, I'm committing my, my, my time to you. I'm going to serve the Lord here. Maybe that's where you're at, or maybe that's where you need to get to. Here's the fifth, and that's the commission level. Come and die. Ooh, that sounds very sacrificial, doesn't it? But did you know that's actually level one? Yeah, Jesus actually puts it like this in Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple and deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You know, you don't see that at sporting events. You know, you don't see Luke 9, 23 held behind the goalposts, do you? No, you see John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus says, that's good. Yes, that's why I've come. I've come as a gift so that you can have eternal life and so that you can... You can deny yourself and become my disciple and now live for me and crucify yourself daily where you can say, my life is about you, Jesus. My life is about you, Jesus. And I just want you to see in Luke 5, Peter, James, and John, they went from life is about me, Jesus. It's about my boat, my nets, my job, my space, my time, my treasure. And in a moment's in an instant, when they had an encounter with Jesus, they said, forget all that. Life is about you, Jesus. Life is about following you forever, Jesus. That is far more important than anything we couldn't come up on our own. Life is about you, and so I'm going to surrender over my life to you. And they went from one to five like that. What are you waiting on? Because we always think of faith as these steps, right? Like, well, I'll go congregational, and maybe in a couple years we might get to committed, and then maybe eventually core. I don't know if I'll ever get to commission level. But yet, that's the level Jesus calls us to immediately, right off the bat, and says, would you come and make this step of faith? And, and I know there's so many of us that we just, we want to make that step. Right now, some of you decided to make that step. Some of you in your heart right now, you've decided to make that step. But can I just throw this out there? The first step towards getting somewhere is to decide that you're not going to stay where you are. I know some of you right now are deciding that. I don't want to be at this casual state. I don't want to be at this congregational level. I want to be at that commissioned level. You know, the first step is just to decide that you are not going to stay where you are. That's what Peter, James, and John did. They looked at their life and said, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay in this boat. I don't want to stay a fisherman all my life. God's got bigger things for me. I want to follow and have my, my life into something greater. And Jesus arrives and they recognize there's the Lord. There's the one that has given me a future. 
They didn't want to stay where they, where they were. We say it like this around here. If all you want is what you got, you just keep doing what you're doing. But if you want something different, then, friends, you're going to have to do something different. And there's a lot of us in this room. There's a lot of us here that are thinking things like, well, my life might get better by chance. Mm -mm. Life does not get better by chance. Life gets better by choice, about making a decision. And those three men that day made the best choice of their life, a choice to follow after Jesus. And what is amazing is some of you right now are making that decision right now. You're making this decision right now. You're claiming that you're going to be more loyal to the Lord today than you were yesterday. And I know that you're making decisions today because the word of God does not come back void. And it's not about my preaching. It's not about me, the messenger. It's about the message. And I know the message doesn't come back void. And so I have this great promise as a communicator that what I'm saying today is challenging you and is bringing you to a new level from indecision to decision. So as the check yes or no paper comes your direction about Jesus, what are you going to say? Yes or no or maybe? Because there's a decision that's to be made. And see, people like Peter, who grew up in the faith and matured in the faith after following Jesus, got bold enough to preach Jesus to people that had just executed him. He knew that the message of Christ would penetrate the most calloused of hearts and draw people to a conclusion. And I know you've settled on a conclusion right now. You don't want to be where you want to be. You want to be at someplace different. And maybe you don't know how to get there. And Jesus says, follow me. I know how to get there. I know how to get you to a greater place, a better place, a place where you have a hope, a plan, a future. Look at with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It's a book called Acts that is really about the apostles who started up the early church, and it's about their actions that, that led the way for the church to expand. And they start preaching the gospel, which means the good news of Jesus. We defined the gospel last week within three phrases. Here they are, real simple. God made it perfect. We broke it. Jesus came to fix it. And that's the gospel, the good news. Jesus came to fix it. And the people that believe that Jesus came to fix it have claimed him as Lord and Savior, have died to themselves, denied themselves, and follow after Jesus as disciples. And Peter is now preaching for the first time a gospel message. He's preaching to a crowd of people that just 50 days earlier, 50 days earlier, had decided that they wanted Jesus crucified. They shouted it out crucify Jesus. And Peter's talking to those same men and women that had Jesus executed. Here's what he says. Acts 2, verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Meaning, he did some attractional things, and you got to experience those attractional things, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, we're in verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, meaning it was Jesus' plan all along to die on a cross for my sin and your sin. With the help of wicked men, you helped put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? That's not how you win a crowd over, by the way. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What a great line. And then he finishes the sermon. He starts to finish the sermon and wrap it up. Acts chapter 2, skip down to verse 37 with me. 
And it tells us when the people heard this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other, other apostles, brothers, what shall I do? What shall we do? Interesting, very interesting. 50 days earlier, Pontius Pilate, who had control of Jesus' destiny, said before those very same people, what do you all want to do with Jesus? What, what do you all want me to do with Jesus? And let's just, why don't we just audibly shout out, what did they shout out? Crucify him, is what they shouted out. We want him dead. We don't want him in our lives anymore. He's better dead to us than he is alive. What to do with Jesus? I don't want him in my life. I know that much. 50 days later, they're cut to the heart, the most callous of heart. They had just yelled crucified, and now, now they're saying to Peter, what do we do with Jesus? You catch that? And Peter says, what does Peter say? Follow him. Get down to these words that were inspired words from Peter from the Lord. Verse 38, chapter 2, repent and be baptized. Peter says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, that's you and I, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. And then they made the split second decision, you see. They didn't go back and say, well, let me just think it over. Let me just make sure I get my PhD in this first and let me figure this all out for a moment. Let me go back. No, you know what? My family's not here with me. I'd love to have my family witness this moment in my life and this encounter with Jesus. No, no, look look at verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized Right then, and there were 3,000 that were added to their number that day. There's like, listen, life in my boat away from Jesus isn't fulfilling. And now I've just experienced Jesus. I know 50 days ago I said I didn't need him, but today I'm recognizing the message has cut to my heart, and I recognize I need Jesus. What do we do? Peter says, you need to repent. You need to turn from your old life, and you need to be baptized into Christ. You need to give yourself over and deny yourself and sharing his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, the majority of people in that crowd, you know what they were doing? They were probably sitting there, and they're coming up with excuses like you came up with excuses right now as to why you shouldn't follow Christ in a greater way than you did yesterday. I grew up in Southern California. I grew up on the coastline. You could always tell the tourists and the natives, the locals, at the beach. It didn't have anything to do with the tan lines. That helped. But it didn't have anything to do with it. It's how they got into the water. You know how tourists get into the water, especially the Pacific Ocean that's cold? They tiptoe into the water. You've done the tourist dance into the water, haven't you? You kind of tiptoe, and then it gets about thigh high. And what do you do? You get on your tiptoes, and you make sure it doesn't get over your waist, because there is just something about getting over your waist that we just don't want that to happen, and we're just nervous about it, and finally we get there, and we think, okay, we're okay, we're a little better now, but what do the natives do? The locals, no, they just sprint about three steps, and then they dive in about three steps of water, and they just know, it's going to be cold, I'm just going to get it over with, and we're done, right? Peter's talking to a bunch of, bunch of tourists. Boy, I might be talking to some tourists. You've been touring Jesus for a long time, tipping toe into Jesus. You haven't been willing to make a splash just yet. You see, you, you, you're in the water. You're in the water. You're in the water. You're in the water. These folks were in the water. My fellow Israelites, a recognition that these men and these women that who he's talking to are religious people. They love God. Peter wasn't saying they didn't love God. They love God. They kept the rituals of God. 
More than likely, they did everything. Their parents did everything for them as the scriptures commanded. On the eighth day, they were probably brought to the temple and to be dedicated before the Lord. They probably went to the temple every Sabbath day. They didn't miss a Sabbath day. They were committed in their hearts, committed to God. And now they're hearing for the first time that there is more in store for them. There is more in store for them. That that maybe they're missing out because they've been tiptoeing in and not been willing to make a splash. What do we do? Repent. Turn from your old way of life and start heading in a new direction towards Christ. Be baptized. Share in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And they'd say, but my parents dedicated me as a child. Isn't that enough? Maybe that's what you're saying. I was christened. I was sprinkled. I was confirmed. You know what Peter's calling these men and women to? Make your own decision for yourself. You know, your parents would probably be joyed, overjoyed, watching you get baptized into Christ today. That's exactly what they wanted for you, to make your own personal step of faith. Friends, all the time we see in the scriptures is belief followed by baptism, not baptism followed by with the anticipation that I hope my child believes, oh goodness. It's an expression of what's in here that comes out here. My question to you is, Has that ever been your personal decision of faith? You know, Jesus was in that camp. Oh, you may have never thought about it. His parents did everything that God had asked them to do. He was dedicated at the temple. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Did everything ritualistically, religiously that they were supposed to do, commanded to do. They all felt good about it. Mary and Joseph walked home. They had a great bar mitzvah probably when he was 13. This amazing time in Jesus' life. But at the age of 30... Jesus decides to do something different. And when John the Baptist is making a way for Jesus in the wilderness and calling people to repent and to be baptized, Jesus says, John, would you baptize me? Not for the repentance or the admission or forgiveness of sin, but to set the example. And remember, Christ was lowered into the water and he rose out of that water and the heavens broke open. As we learned last week, God blasted out in a loud voice, this is my son whom I am well pleased And it looked like a dove coming down on Jesus. What was that dove? It was God's Holy Spirit. What started right after that? What started right after that? Jesus' ministry. He walked in victory. He had power after that moment. He did miracles from that moment on. And he made faith his own and said, I'm just just affirming what my parents had confirmed in me years ago. You know why Jesus did that? He did that for a number of reasons. He did that so that you could watch him as an example Do what you know you should be doing right now. To give you courage. That maybe you're at the age of 30, you might be at the age of 60, you might be at the age of 90. You're saying, boy, but, and if, and God says, would you just follow after my son? That's why around here we dedicate babies and we baptize believers. Because it's a personal expression of your faith. And friends, some of you right now, you're making the decision in your heart. Because I know the way the gospel works. You've made a decision in your heart. I'm going to be baptized today. Hold on to that decision. Just for a few moments more, hold on to that decision. Because everything is ready for you. Everything has been planned for you. Everything is prepared for you. For you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask at both campuses that you meet with people in the back of this room. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to close out the service. We'll even hang around in the commons area. Just look for me or look for Evan Nave at Vincennes. 
And we want you to follow through with this commitment that you're making right now, because I know how this works. I know you're coming up with reasons why you shouldn't right now. Can I just dispel some of them for you? Some misconceptions that are holding you back, stopping you from faith. Number one, I've messed up too much for God to save me. Heard this one this week, last week. Friends, Jesus is a much better savior than you are a sinner. He can save and rescue. I love what Ravi Zacharias had said. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Last week, yeah, absolutely. You know, last week we did a quick analysis, zero being the most evil person we could think of and 100 being perfect Jesus. Where were we on that scale? Nobody was 100. Nobody, I think, was zero. We were somewhere in between. And we all said, listen, it doesn't matter where we're at. We learned a special truth about the gospel. We learned that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And we all need Jesus. One sin or a million, we all need Jesus as our Savior. And you're never too messed up for Jesus to save you. Because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And Jesus welcomes you into his arms to be forgiven. May I just remind you of what God says to you through his word. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, will be what? Let's say it together. We'll be saved. We'll be saved. You might as well just put your name in there. You might as well just put your name in there. You will be saved. Here's a second misconception. I need to know more. I need to know more. At what point do you finally know enough? Because baptism is an elementary teaching. It's a simple teaching. You know what the teaching is? I have sin. I've broken some spiritual laws that only God can forgive me of, and I need God to forgive me. I think about the fourth or fifth grade level, you can figure that out. I have sin. I've broken spiritual laws. And the only one who can forgive me of those and give me grace so I don't have to experience the punishment of breaking those spiritual laws is God himself. I need a savior. You know, Jesus equates us to being born again like we're in our infancy here, right? How much do babies know? They don't know much. They just know they need to be taken care of by their parent. And God says, I'll be your father. The crowd asked Peter, what do we do? Peter says, well, you need to repent. Turn from your old way of life. Start heading towards the direction of Jesus. Stop following the crowd. Start following Christ. And then what? And you need to be baptized, to be submerged, to be immersed. We talked about that last week, what that word means. Why, why would Jesus call it submerged, immersed, not sprinkled? Because there is an identification of going down with the Lord in death and being raised again to life in Christ Are you willing to walk away from your sins is the question. Are you willing to find forgiveness today? Are you willing to have newness of life today? You don't need to know more. You just need to know you have sin and you need a savior. Here's the third thing. I need to get my life in order first. Oh man. You will never get your life in order until you first put Christ in your life. Some of you are laughing because you go, I tried it that way. I tried it that way. No, no, no. Your spirit has not been able to get your life in order. You need God's spirit to help you get there. You need to surrender and you need to let God take over. I love what 2 Corinthians says. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. No more working with the old stuff. God says, how about we start working with some new stuff? Not your spirit. It hasn't been working well. How about you start working with my spirit? A handful of you in this room, you might think, well, does baptism now make me a member of the church? Am I being baptized into Bethany? No way. Uh Uh-uh. That's not biblical. We don't believe that. 
You're not being baptized into a congregation. You're being baptized into Christ. You're not being baptized into Bethany. You're being baptized into the body of believers. So much bigger, so much more important, so much more powerful than this little place. And everything is waiting for you to make that step. I love what 2 Corinthians says, now is the time of God's favor. Today, not tomorrow, now. Now is the day of salvation. Like, why wait on this? Let's just do this. Quit the indecision game. Make a decision. This ain't dinner. Don't let pride hold you back because pride's the biggest thing that's going to stop you today. You know, a few years ago, there was an advertising campaign in the southern states. It was just a way to, to encourage men to take uh, a more active role in their health. And it said, this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. Obviously, a man. No, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. No, but you know, the truth is, this year, millions of people will die without a Savior because of their stubbornness. Reminds me of a story in 2 Kings chapter 5, a man by the name of Naaman, who was like a four-star general of the Syrian army, an enemy of Israel. He had his badge of honor, his status, his money. He had everything he needed, but he had a terrible terminal disease called leprosy. He was having the skin rotting off of his bones. And a maid in his household said, you know, I think there's a prophet of the Lord, a guy by the name of Elisha, who could probably do something about this. God works through him. He does miracles through him. And I think he could probably heal you. Why don't you go see Elisha? Now, Naaman was a proud man, but he was also a desperate man. So he said, okay. And he got his posse together. He got his entourage together. He got the most expensive gifts together. He thought he would buy his healing. And he went to go see Elisha, but Elisha pulled a total boss move. I don't need to see that four-star general, he said. He told his servant, you go out and see him. You give him this message. You tell Naaman, the only way he'll be cured is if he goes down to the Jordan River and he dips himself seven times into that water. Okay, Naaman was totally offended by that because he's a powerful man. He's a rich man. And Elisha didn't even come out to see him, but he responded back something to this. If I wanted to get well by just dipping myself into the water, I wouldn't do it in the yucky, muddy Jordan River. I'd go home and go back to the pristine waters next to my house and dip myself in there. And he rode away. He rode away from Elijah. He rode away from his healing. He kept his dignity. He kept his pride. But he also kept his disease. But there was a courageous servant in that entourage of Naaman's. And he said, you know what, Naaman? If Elijah would have asked you to do something greatly important, for all the world to see, you would have done it. So why not just do this very simple thing? And to Naaman's credit, he swallowed his pride. And he went back to the Jordan River, and he took off his clothes and his robe, and he exposed his rotting flesh to everyone that was with him. And in his humility, he dipped himself in the Jordan six times and still came up a leper. But on the seventh time, just as God has commanded, he came up, and here's what the scriptures say, and his flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy. He was new again. Friends, the Jordan didn't cleanse him. The water didn't cleanse him. No, the water was just a channel for God's healing. His obedient to, obedience to God's command cleansed him. And friends, if you want to be victorious today, you're going to have to surrender today. Huh? Yeah, that's the paradox of faith. 
To, to be victorious, you have to first surrender. It's, it's crazy to us, but maybe you've never thought about it. A champion boxer is asked to raise his or her hands as a declaration of victory, but yet a caught criminal is asked to raise their hands as a way to say, I surrender and I give up. And the paradox of faith is that even though there's the same action and a different reason, the paradox of faith is that act of surrender actually leads to it to victory. The paradox is, I've surrendered, God gives me the victory, and I, I had all these stubborn temptation, I had all these overwhelming problems, and now I'm surrendering, I'm going to let God defeat them, I'm going to hand them over to the Lord, I'm going to find power, I'm going to find victory in Christ. Friends, surrender doesn't weaken you, surrender actually strengthens you in faith. Say, God, not me, you. I follow you. My faith is in you. I made a decision personally to follow you. I give myself over to you. And right now, some of you have decided that. I'm saying your next step is to follow in obedience and be baptized into Christ.